on this episode of The Kinked Wire. If you put yourself in a place that you'll say, oh, that would never happen to me because I'm strong and I'm stoic and I have it under control and I have all the answers, then you already have made yourself susceptible to burnout. Welcome to The Kinked Wire, the new interventional radiology podcast from SIR's IR Quarterly Magazine. You can learn more at our website, surweb.org slash kinkedwire. And this episode is brought to you by Varian. Learn more at varian.com slash is. Wellness and burnout are increasingly important topics in today's fast-paced culture, and we all want to achieve wellness on the job, at home, in our lives. Recently, Kinked Wire hosts Warren Krakoff and Jamin Shaw spoke with wellness expert Felicia Speed about how the busy IR can achieve wellness and avoid the pitfalls of burning out. Hi, Felicia. Thanks so much for being with us. So we've got a really interesting and I think important topic of burnout today. Uh, what are your perspectives or what are your thoughts or, uh, from burnout? Because I think a lot of us probably don't even know what it is or that it exists. I think my experience came just because of my field. I have been a social worker working in nephrology, working with um, ESRD dialysis patients. And I've been working with that population for a little bit over 20 years. And so working in the healthcare arena, uh, working with patients that can uh, have some demands and require a lot of attention, I began to see how over time, whether it was the nurses, the dietitians, the physicians, the social workers, I started to see burnout. And as I um, moved into other positions, um, I began to see it more and more vastly in various fields. And I thought it was just in my region or just in my facility, but then I began to see it across the country. And so I started to have more interest in it because I saw how it was impacting the patient-provider relationship. And I began to see if we want to improve that relationship, then we have to address what I would like to say burnout or even compassion fatigue. Oh, wow. That's a great term. I think a lot of people come home tired from work or you know, just have a stressful day and maybe they have a few in a row. But can you tell us what makes burnout burnout or what is the definition of burnout compared to just having a few tough days of work? I think it's the same as you may have some symptoms of depression, but that doesn't mean you have clinical depression. Um, you may be sad but it does not mean that you're necessarily depressed. So you can be sad for a few days. Depression is when it's going for weeks on end. And so I think it's the same when it just comes to being tired for a few days um, because of some particular event that occurred. And then when it's ongoing for months on end, as the extension of time begins to grow and you find yourself in your second or third month and you're still having some fatigue, but along with that fatigue, you start to have some cynicism. You start to be a little bit more sarcastic. You find that your temperament is changing. You find that you're exhausted, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally as well, where you just feel completely tapped out. And even though you may try a few things, you don't necessarily see the improvement. If it happened just a few days, usually if you just rest, you know, have a weekend where you unplug, then you're good and you can jump right in. But if you find that it's ongoing and you don't make that time to do that, or if you do it and you don't see the results, then that means that you may need to not wait for a whole week to address. You may need to start to do it and find some ways to integrate it within your everyday life and not just trying to find a weekend or one vacation that's going to fix it. I'm wondering, as folks are listening to this, if bells are going off in people's minds thinking, oh my gosh, that's me, or I totally hear what you're talking about. 
what can people do when they're feeling that way? And it isn't just a bad day or two, and, and it really is going on and on, and it, and it seems to be getting worse. You have to look at how are you responding? You know, so if it's physical exhaustion, then you need to look at interventions that may impact you physically. For example, exercise, right? Because the exercise is automatically going to have a, a way to be able to rejuvenate you. If you're emotionally or mentally exhausted, then that lets me know that you need to have an intervention that is more related to you emotionally. Like, do you need to have someone to speak with or do you need to find some things that can counteract that emotional exhaustion where you're not pouring into someone, but someone's taking that time to pour into you? That means you may need to change your social aspects where you're not just around people that can meet your tangible needs, like make sure you can get something to eat or go out to eat, but they're encouraging you with some self-esteem or they can listen to you and allow you to vent. I always say you have to put people in two categories. The people in your life, are they liabilities or are they assets? Because you know? they're <laughs> liabilities because you already have a demanding job. So you already have people that's draining you. So when you get back into your, your regular life, whether it's your family, your friends, your other support systems, are all of those people liabilities as well? Because if you don't have some assets, you're going to feel that burnout and you're going to feel depleted. And it's so individualized when looking for a particular intervention. Some people don't really like the warm and fuzzy stuff. And what I found when I'm working with nephrologists and, and surgeons and physicians, period, if it's too warm and fuzzy, if I try to get them to do some mindfulness, they just really shut down. But if I say, hey, you know, why don't you just take 30 minutes or 10 minutes where you unplug from your phone, where you separate yourself from your phone for a while and 10 minutes where you just have a clear space, um, whether that's sitting in your car. So it's really finding what works with that person. And I don't think that there's a cookie cutter for that. I know there's a lot of things online that tell you various things to do, but you really have to figure out what is it that I enjoy. One of the things I always recommend people is go back to before you had to be an adult, what did you enjoy as a child? <laughs> what did you enjoy as a teenager? Maybe you love music as a teenager. Well, get back to that and go back to the songs that you enjoyed when you were a teenager. Mm. Because I think if we just try to figure out what we can do as an adult, then we'll miss it. But sometimes you got to tap back into your inner child and figure out, did I enjoy riding a bike? Okay, so let's go ride the bike. And one of the things that I find really challenging just in my career, you know, like you said, they can be very demanding, lots of hours, lots of time that we all put into it, is sometimes just being able to find the time to do those things. And when yes. you already feel a bit exhausted, a bit tired, not kind of really there, it's really hard just to kind of get up and get moving to do those things. It's something that we use um, with our patients called opposite action. And it's, it's basically you do the opposite of what you feel like doing break it down in small incremental steps. So instead of saying, I'm going to go ride my bike for 30 minutes, say, I'm going to ride my bike for 10 minutes. You know, just break it down to what I can gotcha. do. Because it's really not about the time, to be honest with you. It's about the impact of that time, the quality of that time that you have. It's amazing what 10 minutes will do for you. Really wonderful advice. And it strikes me as I think that's why these kinds of forms are really important for, for doctors and really all healthcare providers at this point, as you were saying, Felicia. But I wonder if there's like another level of, of people that have to hear this message. You know, I don't know if that's sort of the administrative level but it's not just the sort of frontline folks, but maybe people a couple steps uh, behind the line that may need to know this message. Is that something that you've noticed as well? 
Yes, I have, um, because the demand is a demand. And so whether it's coming from um, long hours, whether it's coming because you're having to deal with too many bureaucratic type of tasks, or it could just be from mm. poor management and leadership. So mm. if the person that you're working for is burned out, then it's going to have a top down effect. So I'm going to feel burnt out trying to meet your needs. You're already burnt out. And so then the person working for me is going to get burnt out because they're trying to meet my needs. And so it's like it becomes a trickle down effect. So I think it impacts other people that are connected to us, whether we mean for it to or not. And to get the folks who are more in charge, as you said, to understand this message of what the frontline folks are going through, how do we disseminate that message? As I really began to kind of research that and was trying to figure out how can we start to make this available to other people, mm. you know, in a very quick way. What I found is that, you know, a lot of practices have just incorporated self-care, whether they have little self care group texts where they're sending out something to the group that, you know, each person is assigned a day and we send out something like, you know, what are you grateful for? It's the simple things that we can do to kind of create that culture within our organization or within our practice, you know, where it's not taking hours of our day. I don't I don't necessarily think that we need to have um, entire day seminars <laughs> on it. <laughs> It's not efficient when it comes to time. And then oftentimes people are only going to remember 10 minutes of what they learned that day anyway. So it's really how can we break it up into small incremental um, digestible bites. And so I think looking for ways to um, just establish wellness as a quality indicator, you know, in your practice, like when you're evaluating everything else that's going well in your practice, how well is wellness? And why is that not a, a mm. deemed a quality indicator to determine how well your practice is actually functioning? Also, just participating in um, relation-centered communication skills training, you know, how you're communicating and not just establishing time management, but boundary management. And I think that's huge when working um, in the healthcare field is not just my time management, but how much can I really do for this person mm. and establishing those boundaries and really making it very clear. I know that this person needs many things, but I don't have a cape and I don't have a magic wand and it's okay. I can do what I can do and hope that someone else that they meet can help meet some of those other needs. But I need to be aware of what I actually can accomplish and the time parameters that I've been given. And then lastly, just be open to seek help and let's try to remove the stigma behind going to a counselor or going to a psychologist. You know, I think there's so much stigma around that, that I'm weak if I need those things when actually it needs to be just understood that it's normal to get depleted at times. And we need to make sure that we're coming up with some type of skills to make change. I think that's really important. I keep reading that care provider uh, rates of depression and suicide are rising. And that not only that, but the inability to properly deal with uh, things like burnout it makes you not as good at your profession. Absolutely. Because then the more you stay silent, um, the more you isolate yourself. And then you get to a place of hopelessness that it'll never get better. That's where we're starting to see the rise of more people with clinical depression and then more people are um, dying from suicide. What's interesting is that I read where more than 40% of physicians are burnt out. And that was from a 2019 mm -hmm. Nations Physician Burnout Depression Report. And 40% mm -hmm. is a lot. 
I was reading something recently saying that there's the highest rate of physicians leaving clinical medicine now than there ever was before. Um, And a lot of it is attributed to, you know, these changes in practice patterns, physician burnout, just lack of job satisfaction. And I have colleagues that, you know, are no more than five years out of training that are asking themselves those same questions. Should I be doing this anymore? You know, this isn't making me happy or, you know, they've kind of lost their way. I think that they need to become aware immediately of, do I still see the greater goal and do I still find purpose in what I'm doing? Do I still see where I'm making a difference? And as soon as you feel, um, I know personally, as soon as I started to feel like I wasn't making a difference, that's when I was like, okay, let me step back. Because it's really not that you're not making a difference anymore. It's that your perception um, has shifted and you have to shift your perception back at not what I haven't accomplished, but focusing more on what I have accomplished. And so I think, you know, having self-awareness is key, which could be a month in, it could be a year in. Um, It just depends on how invested you've been. So I think looking for those opportunities to step back and having an accountability partner that you can talk some things over with and share how you're feeling and creating that safe space to do that with no judgment. I think often people don't share because they feel like they're going to be judged if I'm I'm not a good person in my profession, if I can't handle this. I should have known it was going to be this stressful. And you're not going to know how we know it was stressful, but we didn't know how we were going to respond to the stress. Oftentimes we think, okay, as soon as I graduate (laughs) and I walk across the stage, (laughs) I'm no longer going to be stressed anymore because I'm going to have a job and I'm going to have money and I can stop eating ramen noodles. And really, (laughs) you actually have bills now. Instead of tests and exams, now you have bills. And so I think it's being realistic and allowing ourselves to have that sounding board to have someone to challenge us and coach us to be realistic about what our expectations are on this job. So we've been talking about a lot of things to do that you can do once you start feeling some of the symptoms or seeing the signs of burnout. But is there anything you can do to prevent it? I think the best way to prevent it is to always be aware of it. I think that if you put yourself in a place that you'll say, oh, that would never happen to me because I'm strong and I'm stoic and I have it under control and I have all the answers, then you already have made yourself susceptible to burnout. Once I'm aware, once I made myself aware that it could happen to me anytime, any day, then I'm always aware of it. So I'm always doing a self-check. And so to me, the best preventive way is just to acknowledge that it can happen and that it will happen. And that way I can address it immediately because then you just got to make a quick adjustment. And a quick adjustment could be I need to change how I'm eating or, you know, I need to think of three things every day that I'm grateful for. Or I need to start exercising. I need to look at how many hours am I working and how many hours am I spending with the rest of my life? Things that are meaningful, whether it's community work or whether it's working in my garden, whatever it is, how many hours am I prioritizing these things? If I write down my five priorities, what comes first? And do I need to make an adjustment? I think that's how you prevent it yourself actually getting there and just noticing it before it happens. That's really good to hear. For our little corner of the healthcare world and interventional radiology, I think we tend to be wired to want quick solutions. I mean, we see a narrowing in the blood vessel, we open up a balloon, it opens up and everything's great. And I think from what you're suggesting, first of all, we, you know, there may not be quick solutions to this stuff, but there are little things we can do 
along the way that don't take that long necessarily and sort of pay ourselves at the same time that we're trying to help our patients. Um, and I think that's really good to hear. And I think, too, it's it's really good to get this message out. I'm really surprised that there are folks so soon after fellowship or, you know, only five or six years out or whatever that are feeling burned out in a way. I mean, I, I have a little more gray in my hair at this point in my career. So I kind of feel like, oh, well, my cohort, it makes sense that we're burned out. But I don't know. It just surprises me that the younger crowd is burned out. I think there are some generational differences as well. You know, my grandmother used to tell me, you know, do you have staying power where you, you know that I'm in here for the long haul, so I'm just going to have to make adjustments along the way. But one of the things that really stresses people out is communicating, listening and knowing when to listen and knowing when to speak. And because we live in this age of social media, it's very draining. If you're not used to doing it all day, just talking to people, and you're so used to being on some type of social media platform where I can just type in how I feel or I can type to them and I can chat with them that way, like people would prefer to text than actually have a conversation. And so when you leave that mode of just having those you know, social media platforms of texting, and now I've moved into this clinical practice where I got to talk to people <laughs> and engage with people. <laughs> They're not prepared for it. So it drains them before they can ever get started, right? Because they were like, oh my God, I didn't know I have to go. I was going to have to talk to people so much. Why can't I just text you how I feel or text you what you need to do (laughs) without me having to explain it? And I think that's why sometimes they get burnt out and just drained before they could ever get started because they didn't prepare themselves for personal engagement and just basic social empathy and allowing themselves to be skilled on how to communicate well. You know, people don't even know how to cut a conversation off anymore. Like they were like, how do I end the conversation? And I've had to coach people on how to end conversations. Like you just say, okay, well, it was great talking with you. They don't know how to say that, you know, because when you're texting people, you just throw up a little hand and that's it. I'm done. Like I got stuck in there with that patient and I didn't know how to leave. They don't know how to de-escalate a conflict because all their conflicts are on social media. This has been so valuable and we all really appreciate you talking with us. And, and you know, and, and I hope that we've reached some people, uh, you know, who, who, you know, may have been at risk. As we finish here, we always like to ask our guests to sort of give you the power for one second. If there's anything at all that you could change in healthcare, Lisa, what would it be? Any one thing? I think it should be mandatory counseling for all professional caregivers in any capacity. I feel like it should be mandatory, just like we have to have a physical exam every Mm. year. I think it should be mandatory that you speak with someone outside of your circles. You know, don't be afraid to communicate how you feel and don't be afraid to get help. And I think we have to normalize that, that it's not just for people who have schizophrenia or bipolar, but it's just, you know, you don't have to have a diagnosis to need counseling. You don't have to have a diagnosis to need someone to listen to you. That's not a requirement. The quote I live by is, you fill your own cup first and you nourish others with the overflow. So thank you. That was Felicia Speed talking about the importance of wellness in the lives of IRs. We thank Felicia for her time, Varian for supporting this episode, and we thank you for listening. Our hosts are Warren Krakoff and Jamin Shaw. Our sound engineer is Jason Fisher. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any thoughts or ideas on what topics you'd like to hear, drop us a line at irq.com.
www.sirweb.org.